0: Hello, and welcome to Life Stories, a podcast where I talk to memoir writers about their lives and the art of writing memoir. I'm Ron Hogan. My guest today is Rick Moody. He's written several novels. Uh, There's actually another memoir a few years back, but we are going to be talking about his second memoir today, uh, The Long Accomplishment, which takes its title from a Jack Gilbert poem. Rick, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Ron. So this is a memoir about a specific year, uh, the first year of your second marriage. And I think any memoir, of course, there, there's a, I don't want to say arbitrary, but there, there, ultimately there is a decision about what you were going to cover in a memoir. And let's talk about the, the, the process of deciding to
1: start here and end there. You know, with my first memoir of Black Veil, vale, I put in a lot of thought about structure. Rigorously structured in some ways, I thought a lot about the nonfiction novel. I thought about Mailer. I thought about you know the state of nonfiction writing, and you know I got a very unusual book out of that. But this book it wasn't it wasn't sort of structured preliminarily so much as it was confessed, and it was confessed in that shape because it really covers this period of time when a lot of dreadful stuff was sort of happening to my wife and me and in the aftermath of that I you know was sort of sitting around thinking about what novel I was going to write and I couldn't sort of found that imagination was stymied by the difficulties that we had gone through so I just thought you know I'm going to write about this because that's how I do it. That's how I live through stuff. And I picked the year just because the major events kind of happened in that year. And that seemed like a sort of structural contrivance that would be organic and near at hand. But, you know, it had an escape notice for me that Walden was made in that same structure, you know, the Rose Walden takes a year as a subject. And so, you know, the idea of making it chronologically narrowly focused sort of permitted me to go and not have to second-guess it. So I used, I borrowed that structure from the others, but it helped me sort of not spin out in too many directions. As you discussed in the opening
0: chapter, although this is a very calamitous year for you, a man of hills, as you can say, at all point. It seems to, at least at the point that you chose to start, it seems to hold a lot of promise. You know, you write about how you had, had various addictions finally in the rear view mirror with some significant distance. Uh, and the second marriage was promising to be better than the first. I think like one of the if it's not the opening line, it's certainly in the first paragraph, that in order to have, you have to, to think of a, a successful second marriage, you have to have gone through a, a bad first one. So it seemed like you were on the cusp of things are looking good for Rick Moody.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the book, there's a sort of uh, um, totem of bad luck, and the totem is a Charles Manson signature that I got. And it's less that I believe that we had bad luck with Charles Manson than um, I should point out that I did not walk up to Charles Manson and get his <laughs> signature in prison where he was, but rather that through a sort of long chain of, of uh, other folks, I managed to happen onto a postcard. But the point of uh, the appearance of the Manson signature in the book is simply that there are these periods where sort of talent, privilege, charmed life, uh, you know, or all the other things that might guarantee that you have a relatively easy ride fail horribly, you know, and that was kind of what happened. And in the midst of all this stuff, all these calamities started piling up. It was natural in that sort of symbolic reading way to want to say, who's responsible? <laughs> Why is all this taking place? You know, what did we do wrong? And as you say, there are a lot of things wrong. But for whatever reason, we kept coming back to this Charles Manson signature as though if we could get rid of it, which we did. Maybe the bad luck would stop So I don't know what caused it. It just was. Maybe sometimes these are just things that happen, and they happen the way they happen. But the promise went awry for a while. In the book, the idea is that your marriage is strong if you can survive this stuff. There's a certain aspect to reading
0: memoir, particularly memoirs by literary people. You know, this sense of, you know, how is Rick Moody going to handle this? Uh, You know, what is Rick Moody going to have to say about this? And I mean, I think the answer to the first question is in the same way that a lot of us are going to deal with things like infertility and the stress that that puts on, or, or, or drawn out divorce proceedings your reactions are yeah, you know, certainly they're specific, but there's also there is also a universal
1: quality to them. I was having a conversation with um, T. Kieran Man, you know, her book along with the tribe, Follow this Girl it's a really great piece of memoir you know, her book has really hard material it makes my book look sort of simple by comparison and I was saying to her what's the process to get this stuff down for you, and she said Focused on craft. The craft for her freed her from sort of burdens of confessionality in a way. But I had a different idea this time, and for me, it was like craft and candor were at opposite ends of, of dialectic, you know. And so I sort of set aside the high style of some of my novels and so on to try to just tell the story. And you know what you're saying—that they're not dissimilar difficulties from what other mortals would go through. To me, that's that's thrilling here because that's the effect that I wanted to have. You know, that I would just be a sort of worker among workers with respect to the hardships, and hopefully say something honest and and usefully observational about how ordinary citizens go through stuff like
0: this. Yeah, or it's like, you know, there's not some special, like, A-list celebrity room where where, where you have to go as the as the, the jargon is in you know, the fertility treatment. I can like produce the sample. It's like, you've <laughs> got to go into the same, you know, porn mag filled room <laughs> with every, every other man going through this has to go through.
1: Yeah, and that's how I feel about it. You know, at this point in my career, that's how I feel about it. And, and I'm hoping, you know, that especially with the case of infertility, what's the purpose of the book like this? Men don't often write about infertility. You know, It's much less frequently described from the guy's side of the problem than from the mother's side. But I would like to sort of shed a little light and hopefully that, you know, can write in burden for anyone else that that's worthwhile.
0: As a memoir of the opening year of a marriage, you talk about the way that marriage is, in a sense, defined by the stories that accrue as you're living through those events. Your reactions to to those events and how you get through them together define how the marriage is going to be. So even though there's a very singular consciousness in the writing, it really is a collaborative effort
1: in terms of living. It would be untrue if I did not say that Laurel played a, a real role in the book, mm-hmm. in the sort of shaping the book, like at the galley stage. She went over it very closely. She's actually a great writer, she studied writing quite a bit in both undergrad and grad school. She actually went to the Yale School of Art, but she took class with Robert Still. while she was in the game. So she's a very able writer. So she was really involved in going through the gallons. But she actually had a really good edit for the ending, too. <laughs> the ending was better because of the world.
0: And I feel like, you know, particularly in a, in, in a memoir of this personal, on in this internet, I mean, you're both artists, so you both understand how the creative process chooses its subjects, sometimes beyond your, your conscious choice. But there, there comes a point at which, you know, you have to say the
1: world, this is what I'm writing about, and it involves you. I mean, in this case, you know, like I said, in the moment where I started sitting around thinking about what I was going to do next, and when I conceived of the book was before, I don't want to give wait the I it was sort of before the reasonably good upbeat portion of the ending came to be. And I said, no, it might be that this is all I can do. This is the only thing I could possibly write in the context of our hardship, she was fine with that, and it was more along the lines of, "Can we get any money from this so that we can continue trying to pay for infertility treatment?
0: You talk about this a little bit, but and and you've, met, you've mentioned this a few minutes ago that this was pretty much what you like your imagination had, was on hold as far as fiction was concerned, and you talk in the memoir about a novel that you had contracted to write and had gotten so stalled on that you basically wrote another book instead, you know, we don't have to get into percentages here, but I assume that writing forms the backbone of your income um, apart you know, there's teaching and speaking and things like that but that, if you don't have anything to write, you have a significant problem.
1: Yeah <laughs> that's really true and with some big bills as you know, in utility it's not covered in New York so infertility treatment in New York is astonishingly exorbitant. People are laid low. And we're sort of in a community now. Laurel sort of became very adept at finding kind of online fellow travelers in this world of infertility treatment. So we know a lot of people who've had similar difficulties. Remortgaging your house, moving back in with your in-laws, like the list of things that people go through to try to get this done all of these eventualities dire, in many cases, fiscally dire. That's really on our mind. And the idea that I could take the process and sort of try to make writing out of it fit the bill in many ways, not just creatively, but also craft and solving our problem.
0: You mentioned the tension between craft and candor and the decision to sort of lean into the candor. At that point, how does the writing come it come for you yeah, in right. terms of dealing with this material. Once you decide, yeah, it's like, okay, I'm just going to get in there and
1: with as much camera as I can. Does it make it easier to, to write through this material? I mean, it would be most honest to say I'm a somewhat uncomfortable memoirist. Blackville is the hardest book I've ever written. It's very, very difficult to write. This one's easier than that one because I have fewer sort of formal balls in the air, but. It wasn't easy either. And I sort of have to trick myself into doing it a little bit. I sort of treat it diaristically in the first draft, and then I kind of try to impose sense on it, and that was the way I did it. But it's not entirely native. And there were moments in this process where I didn't even know what I was doing. Barbara Jones, my editor, would tell you the first draft definitely didn't know what it was doing. And it sort of took some long meditation over what I thought I was saying to impose this culture. And I want to get something in there.
0: One of the ideas of, of or at least one approach to the memoir being that imposition of a narrative order on the events of your life. There's a sequence about two thirds of the way through where you talk about, we can really only describe it as an experience that was produced for you by a company called Odyssey Works, in which essentially, over a period of several months, they, in very subtle ways, imposed or, or generated events of narrative significance. I found that whole experience fascinating in a way. Um, the idea of extending the experience of a work of art, which we usually think of as a very discrete e, d, e. So you go, you look at the art, or you hear a piece of music, you see the performance, you go. Whereas this, this worked its way into your life, and for
1: some time. It's interesting that you bring that part up because it was a lot longer. There was like 90 pages that I do <laughs> and I cut it down a lot. You know, I left it in, and I left it in out of sequence, because really it happens sort of before the first chapter in strict chronological sense. Because I felt like the thing that happened is like memoir writing as a whole in a way, in that it, it was a, an event or a sequence of events designed to get you to notice that you're here in a way. That was the net effect of it to cause me to notice that I was here. And the memoir notices in a similar way. And in part I have Abe, the guy who runs Honest Works, to thank for rehabilitating the idea of noticing, you know, because one falls into the grind of life sometimes and months can go by and you haven't, you know, look rick corner of the building smelled smell of the flower. So I included it for that reason and because I really do think that marriage is a sequence of stories that we tell. And, you know, a lot of these stories in this book are unbelievably sad. But that story, which is one that Laurel and I both laugh about a lot, because she hated the awesome <laughs> That's a story that we tell. And I wanted to have something in the book that would serve as that Bit of lightness, but we're still supportive of the thesis of the world.
0: That notion of reawakening the, the sense of noticing, of uh, the sense of being here. You know, this is not a theme that the long accomplishment wears on its sleeve necessarily, but it is also, or, or you are also, not silent about the support, the, the comfort, and the support that a sense of spirituality. And you have your particular one, I have my particular one, everybody else has a particular one. Yeah. But that it that it has a role.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny that we're sitting in this office, which if I looked out the window in the right way, I can sort of see where some of these chapters take place, in mm-hmm. just the area that you're talking about, just the area of institutionalized spirituality. Uh, but yeah, and the being here of Odyssey Works is sort of crying at similar issues. And by and large, I wouldn't be here sitting in the room if I didn't have that stuff in my life, because the sort of seductive voice of self-destruction is so overpowering that I have to have that if I'm going to continue to, be able to
0: do my work. It feels like a particular form, and this is also partly based on knowing that you know one of the other projects that you've done I mean, that you worked on a book uh, about or wrote an introduction for a book about uh, collecting some of the the key Quaker documents. And that sort of sense of Quakerism to me has that sense of being in the world and paying attention to detail that is useful not only in the sort of moral conduct, but also as a creative person, that sense of actually noticing the world around you in order to represent it.
1: Indeed, I mean, like the Quaker practices unique and incredibly powerful.
0: Okay, well, without giving away too much of the ending, there are events where, let's just say, you know what happened, you have an explanation for what happened, and you can't really do anything about them, and you can't even really speak too directly about them for legal purposes. <laughs> Of the writerly side of you. What what are the what are the frustrations
1: like there? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, the truth is that in the area you're asking about, I also wrote a short story about it, and in the short story, I unburdened myself, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I changed just enough so that the relevant perpetrators will never know that the short story exists. But you know that that sort of day and all, the French would say enabled me to really sort of get to my feelings. It was also written sooner after the events. So uh, the urge to have a sort of literary revenge mm-hmm. was keener. And so, in a way, that project and this project represent different stages of overcoming trauma. And I'm happy for all those stages to sort of be available. Sort of not dissimilar to what happened to you know, my sister died, that I wrote you know, several pieces about grief. And they all represent, you know, my journey. So yeah, memoir hems you in when dealing with something like, you know, crap. To find yeah. out
0: more, read, read more <laughs> of the book. But, um, but you know the way that you put that, that is like that they'll never know that this story exists. You know, one of the things that strikes me in the book and in conversation with you is that you know, you are not the person to hold it do you know who I am? Even though there's one hilarious scene, and it's part of the Odyssey Wars uh, section, where you kind of do have to pull the, well, you know, I'm not entirely unknown. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of what happens over, over the course of the, the year, you know, whether it's dealing with customs officials in another country or going through the emotional grind of infertility treatments. There are yeah, I mean we kinda of touched on this a little bit in the beginning of the conversation, but to look at it from another angle, there are a lot of aspects in life in which being air quotes rick
1: moody doesn't help. Yeah. I don't care anymore. I don't care about it, I'm not interested. You know, period in the late nineties where I very briefly believed the hype seems to me to be a period, well, general time So I don't I don't care about any of that. And actually, you know, I'd much rather sort of learn from you about Quaker meeting than I would go out a conversation about whatever work is imputed with me, the writer. I don't care. Like, I, what Abe was getting out in the Odyssey work, be awake, be alive, construe this moment as of significance instead of sort of grinding through it to get to some other thing that you think is going to be better. That seems like the And I want to make the next fiction, you know, have that as a point of departure. As is often the
0: case with memoir writing, the events that we're talking about are five, six years in the past. You know, you've gone some ways along the journey that you've just described in the intervening years. So where are you at this point in terms of,
1: um, of what comes next? My family isn't really... Good shape. And one interesting theme is the way, in the book, is the way in which Laurel's work and my work influence each other and sort of generate ideas across platforms without our talking about it carefully. And so since the time that I write about, you know, Laurel's been making really great work about her family. So, you know, on a sort of superficial level, life as well, there are ways that things that happen in the book Change this permanently. Infertility as a struggle, no matter the outcome, is a process that leads a mark. And, you know, we're still, we're still a couple of people that went through the brush with criminal element. It's in the later portion of the book. But, you know, in terms of me personally, my imagination has returned, <laughs> and I'm making short sure stories right now. I'm really enjoying it a lot. Well, That gives us plenty to look forward to
0: in the future. For right now, there is The Long Accomplishment. It's a really powerful memoir by Rick Mooney. We have been talking about it on Life Stories. And if you've enjoyed this interview, uh, I hope you might go into iTunes and throw a bunch of stars at it and give it a really nice review. That just makes it easier for other people to find it in the future. And you can also subscribe through iTunes or uh, podcasts or whatever they're calling it now and find out when new episodes are, are released. I'm Ron Hogan. Thanks for joining me today. And I hope you'll join us again for another interview soon.